episode of the top five report the podcast that believes that you should always start today and tackle your projects today with the confidence of a four-year-old in a batman t-shirt my name is drew i'll be your host for the evening along with me as always is my brother peter hi uh don't let adam know but i'm here <laughs> i don't know <laughs> if my paychecks have been canceled yet but uh i'm gonna do my best to at least stick around for this episode at least so <laughs> So you're you're not sticking around for this episode? I'm confused. <laughs> no, I said I'm gonna do my best for to uh, stick around at least for this episode. No, um, I fi- oh, right, obviously right. I finally caught up on the uh, episodes while I was gone, and I was uh, laughing my head off at the fact that Adam fired me <laughs> on the uh, second episode that he guessed. Yeah, it yeah, out. yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's yeah. I compl- I forgot about that for a second. I'm like, oh wait, that's what he's making a reference to. Yep. Uh, <laughs> well, hey man, how have you been? You said you got sick. You don't have to go yeah. into detail, but not COVID, I hope. <laughs> no, no, not COVID. But uh, yeah, like right after last week's episode, I actually uh, got sick for like the rest of the week and that weekend, which, um, hey, you know, I don't mind, you know, being able to stay home and watch movies and stuff. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch uh, Black Widow yet. So I'm uh, I guess I'm just two weeks behind the rest of the world right now. <laughs> I'm kind of my own little time capsule, if you will. So that's all right. Um, Did you get a chance to watch anything or you just kind of lethargic because you were sick? Oh, no, I I did get a couple things in. Um, I did finish Loki, which I'm hoping you did as well. I think we're going to talk about that in a little. I also finished Loki. Okay, awesome. Um, So I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly. the other things I got to watch. Um, so I finally finished uh, Fear Street. I finished all three oh, Fear yeah, Street yeah, movies yeah. on Netflix. Um, and this was just overall, like, I thought this this miniseries was just a really good time. Like, I had so much fun with this series. And it's one of those things where I expected it to be kind of a fun teen slasher horror uh, movie series, which it totally was. But The series took me off guard in the fact that by the time you watch the uh, by the time you watch the last movie, I didn't expect all of the events of all three of these movies to be wrapped as tightly in a little bow as it was like all all the loose ends seem to be addressed and everything seemed to just be wrapped up really well into this really just tightly written uh, finale of the series. And I really wasn't expecting that. And uh, it's just a really it's a unique series because it's three films, three horror films. Uh, The first one takes place in 1994. The second one takes place in 1978. And the third one takes place in 1666. And uh, it all takes place around this uh, 
sort of uh, supernatural event that, uh, you know, recedes back into history. But to be honest, I just thought that structure for a miniseries was just really cool as well. Like I haven't watched a lot of series where each installment um, goes further back in time. But and this is one that I don't want to spoil too much. And I know it's been getting a lot of hype. So a lot of people have been talking about this, but really all I I want to say is just I had a really fun time with the series and I was just shocked at how well everything was kind of tightly wrapped up by the end. Um, the last thing I'll say is like this series is, uh, you know, it's a horror series, so they have to leave you with a clincher. They have to leave you at that bit at the end where you know that uh, the story could continue. But to be honest, um, this is Fear Street, which as far as I know, the Fear Street novels by R.L. Stein were um anthology i'm pretty sure it was an anthology novel series and that's why i i'm because of how successful this miniseries is i feel like there's going to be sequels that come out but i kind of want them to if they do sequels i kind of want them to focus on um focus on like maybe just do a completely different story you know you know sometimes i think with especially like TV series nowadays, a lot of times they like to continue the same thing like into eternity. And this is one where I think it'd be cool if they if they do do a sequel to the series, they could just do a completely new, like clean slate new story. I think that would be really cool. But uh, no, I definitely recommend Fear Street. This was just a really fun uh, series overall. All right. Yeah, um, that's. That like I literally did check out the um I just like kind of watched the trailer and stuff like that. It's totally like up my alley. I just need to get on it. So yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And I, I look forward to uh, hearing your thoughts on it. Um, the only other thing I got to watch besides Loki is um I finally watched A Quiet Place Part Two. Um, oh, have you yeah. seen this, Drew? No, um, I was I saw the trailer for it and I'm like ooh because I was you know. Sometimes when they do movies like that and you find out there's a sequel, you're just like, really, did we need that? And then I saw this trailer. And I, was like, I was like, OK, yeah, like I want to see this movie. So go ahead. <laughs> well, that that's the thing is the first one was just such a tight, concise sort of uh, thriller horror story, whatever you want to call it. Like I thought the first one was so good, but it was so perfect on its own. So I honestly wasn't sure if I even wanted to watch a quiet place part two, but it's one of those things that, uh, we watched it the other night and, uh, this one's just, I had a blast watching this. Uh, one thing my wife has said is that, uh, a quiet place. And I never really thought about this, but she said a quiet place is one of her favorite horror series because it's one of the few series that, or, you know, it's one of the few sets of movies that actually has her on the edge of her seat and uh, really feels suspenseful to her and stuff. And I think that's actually a really good point. Like, the f- if you've seen the first one, you know, some of those scenes are just super, like, super intense. And I think this one definitely matched that. Um, I I don't know if I think this one is better than the first, but I do think it is as good in regards to the suspense building and all that. Um I do. I, I do still think I like the first one just because it's it is that really tightly written, like really concise, but really good story. But um, if you liked the way the first one ends, I think you'll like the way that this one ends, because it has a if the first one, the way it ends, has this really like bring it on, like bring it on monsters. We're going to kill you all sort of ending. This one has a very 
hopeful ending that hints at a possible resolution and happy end to uh, these characters that we've been with and for the past two movies. So a quiet place part two, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, that was a really, really good, really fun movie as well. So, um, but that's honestly about it for me. Um, Yeah. How about you, Drew? Okay. Um, So I've never seen the show West Wing and I was on an Aaron Sorkin kick. So I finally finished all seven seasons of the West Wing. Um, I was really pleased with how they ended it. Um, You could tell Aaron Sorkin wrote the first four seasons and that's when he stopped. So the final three were not written by him, but you could tell his involvement and you could tell. And that point, the characters have, you know, really the actors really know their characters. So, like, even if he's not writing it, you can still tell there's the influence and all that stuff. Uh, But I was really kind of happy with the way they closed that show out. Um, I got caught up on Loki for sure. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, I'm catching up on the Bad Batch because uh, I was a few episodes behind there. So um, I'm fully caught up. Yeah, I'm fully caught up on the Bad Batch for the next few episodes that are going to be landing, um, which that show is just that show is fantastic. Um, did I watch any movies? Oh, I watched. We talked about it last week. I watched uh, Terminator Dark Fate. Like I said, I was going to. <laughs> oh, nice. How was uh, it? The uh, here's the thing. There is. Parts of the movie that are very Terminator. Okay, so if you know, like, you know, when you're going into an Indiana Jones movie, there's certain things that make the movie Indiana Jones. When you go into a Die Hard movie, there's certain things that make it a Die Hard movie. If you go into an Aliens film, it, there's certain things that make it Aliens. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. walking into this movie, there are certain things that make it Terminator, and those elements are very clearly stated that you're watching a Terminator movie. So there's parts of it where it's like, okay, here we are, the Terminator car chase. You know what I mean? Or the Terminator uh, uh, time travel. I just got back and I'm naked and I got to find clothes sequence. (laughs) There's there's certain aspects of a Terminator film that are Terminator. However, this was just, I just, it was a really, it was just a fun movie, like from beginning to end. I didn't really have any problems with it. I didn't really have any like, um, like amazing, like I didn't. I didn't come out of it going, oh, my God, that's the best Terminator movie ever, because it doesn't hold a candle, in my opinion, to Terminator 2, because that's literally the best. But it's it's a really good movie. The thing that blew my mind was the authorization, like the discussion of the future stuff, because as they every time they prevented Doomsday or Judgment Day or whatever, every time they prevented Judgment Day, the future changed just enough. Um, so like when she, so like Linda Hamilton is back as Sarah Connor. Um, and when she meets the Terminator and the Terminator is like, well, how do you know all this? The good Terminator, if you will, is like, how do you know all this? Where are you getting this information? And she starts talking about Skynet and the Terminator is like, I don't know what Skynet is. And she's like, well, we stopped, we stopped Skynet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Skynet was the original thing that would have caused Judgment Day and and the machines taking over. And now it's something else or it's evolved. It's we've changed. We've altered the future. So, of course, you don't know what Skynet is. You know what I mean? Um, And I thought that was really cool that they touched on that. And then um, the the thing that really blasted, like just really blew my mind. And it's at the very beginning of the movie um, is Linda Hamilton's back to Sarah Connor and they do the de-aging thing. So she looks like Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2. But mm-hmm. in this in this flashback sequence, they I don't know if they I don't know if they de-aged, got the actor to come back or what. But John Connor, Terminator 2, John Connor's in the movie. Um, OK, nice. 
I didn't go digging it up, but it's literally, I'm like, Oh, that's Eddie Furlong and how'd they get him back. And is it him or, you know what I mean? I kind of just kind of took it for what it was and just was like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, so, so it, was it Edward Furlong? That, um, I just didn't, I just didn't look up the credits. I was like too, like by the end of the movie, I was like, that was solid. And then turned it off and I was like, Oh, okay, but it was nice. blue. So I was like, crap, I have to go back. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't even think about it when I got to the credits. It kind of made me laugh after I thought about it. I was like, shoot. Um, I guess I could look it up, but I was like, it was just, uh, that kind of blew my mind that they did that because he kind of disappeared into the acting ethos, if you will. Um, yeah, absolutely. Overall, I enjoyed it. Um, real quick, uh, my review of Loki, um, I'm going to be very honest and I know this might be a, uh, uh, not the popular opinion, but I think of the three shows we've gotten from Marvel right now, Loki is my least favorite. Um, and here are my problems and this is not bad problems. It's just here are my problems. One, several sections of the show, like especially a lot of the stuff at the time variance authority are incredibly dimly lit. Yeah. To some point where I'm like, I can't see, I don't know what's going on because it's so dimly lit. It's hard to physically see the stuff on the screen. Um, that kind of bugged me here and there. Um, I kind of got over it by the end, but I was just like, this is hard to watch just because of how dimly lit it is for a Marvel show. It just bothered me. You know, that, that makes sense. And I don't know if you agree with me. I just thought it was physically dark. Well, they, they uh, had like a specific kind of lighting at the time variance authority. So I actually did notice, um, certain scenes were either dimly lit or just not, um, yeah, it's just, I guess dimly lit's perfect. Like it's, it, they weren't as bright as I was hoping and maybe certain, Actions weren't necessarily as clear, but I just kind of chalked it up as like, well, they're going for a certain lighting style at the TVA. But uh, I definitely understand that as a criticism because um, uh, I definitely noticed it as well. And then the other thing that stood out to me with this show in comparison to the others, and it's hard to complain about this because they had so much legwork they have to do for what that show was attempting to set up. And that's. Um, they had way more exhibition than um, WandaVision and uh, Falcon the Winter Soldiers. They spent so much time talking about things as opposed to, in my opinion, doing things. And I'm not talking necessarily a fight scene. I'm just saying that there was so much there was a lot of talking. And that's um, where I think I kind of had the same feeling because um, the, there's a couple episodes like I'm, I've mentioned, like the first and third episode specifically, where I thought that uh, I felt like the episode moved a little slow. And the problem was, is I kind of could I could kind of see where we were going, but I still had to wait for the characters to get there and to talk yeah, about what was going on and stuff. And and that's where I was finding it a bit tedious. And I, I enjoyed the show overall. Like, I don't know if it's I don't know. Right now, I think WandaVision is still my favorite, but Loki's probably my second favorite out of these new Marvel shows. Yeah. But I did find a couple moments tedious. So I definitely understand where you're coming from from there. Um, the uh, well, and then the villain, when you finally got to see Kang, it kind of bugged me that they didn't call him Kang. Um, and that's what I've been curious, like, 
is he confirmed to be Kang? Because I've seen people online all the, all over the place calling him Kang. Well, but yeah. I just didn't know if that it's, is like confirmed or not. They 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 get it covered pretty clearly. Like the like okay. the costume, the statues, they call him the Conqueror. Like they do they basically literally they cover it in every aspect possible except use the actual word Kang. And I was like, <laughs> come on. Um now However, that could be a saving point because he doesn't look like the traditional Kang that you all know from the comic books. And you could say, well, it's a show and they got to adapt. Well, I'm going to call bullshit on that because Thanos looked like Thanos. Do you know what I mean? Like if they really wanted to make Kang look like Kang, they can. However, they did just really destroy the timeline, created all these multiple realities, multiple timelines, multiple pocket dimensions, that kind of stuff. And it sets up. Ant-Man, uh, Quantumania, the next Ant-Man film, uh, which they've already said Kang will be the main villain in Ant-Man. So the actual use of the word might be being saved for the Ant-Man film, which I wouldn't put a past Marvel to do um, to extrapolate show versus film. Right. So um, I can't really harp that, but I overall, I really enjoyed the show. I just think of the three, it's my least favorite. So. Yeah, and I think, um, I think, the third or the not the third, this, this, I guess it was the sixth episode. The last one felt a little bit anticlimactic to me because I was expecting a little bit less of a um, Kill Bill two, Kill Bill volume two style ending, if that made sense, if that makes sense. Like there was a lot more, like you said, exposition. It was a lot more like the villains re- revealed and now there's going to be a long, intense dialogue with the villain. <laughs> I think I was expecting yeah. something more action packed. And as far as uh, the appearance of Kang, I guess I was expecting I guess I was expecting a villain that looked a little bit more spectacular and weird and might have been maybe a crazy looking alien or something like that. But um, sure. like I said, overall, like I was really satisfied with the show overall. I thought it was really fun. Um, there was just a couple parts that I kind of just wished were a little bit over the top. And that's kind of also goes into my like personal tastes. Like I really like over-the-top, bombastic, sort of spectacular things. And some people kind of like things that are a lot more subtle and stuff. So it it might be a taste thing. I'm not really sure. But, um, no, I I think I'm kind of uh, right on board with uh, your assessment of the show, Drew. Right. And that's, I mean, like I said, overall, I really enjoyed the show. And I'm excited to see where it goes. So, um, and I think the next time we're going to get into this, where this set things up will be in the Ant-Man film which ultimately these shows are going to build to the next thing. And then the next thing's going to build to the next thing and so on. And Marvel taught us about continuity. So whether you like it or not, you got to watch everything. So, um, yeah, uh, this is a great segue into news. Actually, if you have anything else you want to add to the watching reading category. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's oh. it for me. Just, uh, Phil, fear street, a quiet place and Loki. So, <laughs> well, Loki, before I hit the news, I have one more thing. Uh, I started reading, um, like I said, I'm catching up on my Marvel comic side. I uh, started reading Spider-Man Marvel Knights or Marvel Knights Spider-Man, however you want to word that. Um, the Marvel Knights line for Marvel is more of an adult look at things. Not that comic books are kids versus adults, but it's kind of like you have your, Ultimate Spider-Man, which is clearly like very kid level uh, high school age comic because it's Peter Parker at high school where like the Marvel Knights is your darker uh, adult take on the universe. 
Um, and I re- I'm really liking it a lot. Um, it made me realize that reading. So this isn't a problem because I like high school Spider-Man, but I'm not in high school anymore. So I don't idealize with that anymore. It's harder to identify with that uh, because I'm an adult. Um, there is a version of Peter Parker that grew up and got married to Mary Jane and is an adult. And yes, he's Spider-Man, but he's still dealing with adult things. And I like that version of Spider-Man better because it's a version of Spider-Man that has grown with me over time. Um, <laughs> and the Marvel Knights Spider-Man is that version of Peter Parker, which makes it that much more fun for me. So um, I'm really enjoying the Marvel Knights version. Just thought I'd throw that out there. It's like I said, I'm catching up on my comics. So I know people out there are like, well, you're just no getting on this. Well, yeah, I'm just not getting on this. I got, I got what, very you haven't read every comic book that has ever been made. <laughs> you, host, you host a show where you talk about comic books and you haven't read all these? Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, <laughs> no, and I just, and I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just trying to catch up cause I, I've read more DC than I have Marvel. So it just kind of like give a little bit of a DC break to do some catch up and, um, but yeah, I don't know to, to me, whenever I'm listening to a podcast and somebody, uh, you know, mentions like a really old comic series or something, I'm like, Oh sweet. I actually read that. I'm going to know what they're talking about at this moment. <laughs> so I've never had the, like, really, you're just getting to that. It's more like, Oh cool. I've actually read this one. So yeah. And that's fair. Comic books move fast enough that they're hard to keep up with if you're not paying attention, but I'm, and like you can get behind really, really easily. So I just, I never read cause I always read, like I liked them ultimate Spider-Man a lot. And I read amazing Spider-Man for a very, very long time. And every now and then you get a crossover where you got to read like web of Spider-Man or something like that. But the Marvel Knights, I never really tackled that era of Marvel because I knew it was more adult and I just never touched it. So whether it's Marvel Knights, Wolverine, I did read a little Marvel Knights Wolverine back in the day, which I really liked. But Marvel Knights Wolverine or Marvel Knights Daredevil or something like that, Marvel Knights Punisher, it all just sometimes it was a little bit too adult. So um, and now I'm like, you know, I'm going to give Marvel Knights Spider-Man a a little bit of a go. And it's really good. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, so back to the news, Uh, because we were talking about Loki. Officially, Loki gets a season two. Um, If you didn't hear this. Yeah. Well, if you watch the bonus scene for the end of uh, Loki. The end of the final episode, they basically said Loki will return in season two. So, uh, (laughs) yeah. But in terms of Loki, Tom Hiddleston has specifically said that he'll play Loki forever. Um, He said, if I were asked to play Loki for the rest of my life, I would. Absolutely. I'm so lucky that I've gotten to play Loki for this long. Um, I just thought that was a cool quote to say just because we were talking about Loki and you don't hear that often from the uh, Marvel actors. And I don't say that just necessarily from Marvel because I think they all would do that. Uh, But Marvel recently made a statement where they're no longer going to do massive, massive contracts for actors. Um, I don't entirely know what that means, so I don't want to spill speak ill of it uh, or misspeak. Um, But the reason I bring that up is because reading the article about it and because they had they had the contracts for the actors for like the first 23 films were so deep, you know, because they're like, hey, we need Nick Fury over here and we need Iron Man over here and we need this guy over here. You know, they were such big contracts that they're going to try and get they're going to step away from that a little bit. Yeah, uh, I do know that in franchise practice, if you're hired for a franchise, I believe you're unless your character dies, you're usually contracted for three films as a just in case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have a feeling they'll stick to the three film contract at the bare minimum and kind of build from there. So just hearing Loki wants to play Loki forever. That just made me happy. So, I mean, he plays that role really well. And I feel like um, 
I don't know. I feel like Loki is arguably Marvel's ve- best villain. I know people would have different opinions on it, but he's definitely one of my favorite uh, villains they've had so far. And it's a uh, it's a cool character because he can be extremely sadistic, but he can also play kind of an antihero. So I can see why Tom Hiddleston would just think this is kind of like a dream role in a lot of ways. So. Sure. It's awesome to hear that he's still in for the long haul. And uh, yeah, let's just hope for more Loki appearances, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or a lot more, you know. Well, let's since we're on the Marvel front, let's talk about this. Theater owners are furious with Disney after Black Widow's box office slide. Um, the National Theater, uh, the National Association of Theater Owners have criticized Disney for simultaneously releasing Black Widow in theaters and on Disney Plus premiere access attributing uh, Widow's stunning collapse to his record weekend in theatrical revenues to this. So basically what they're saying is, is because you put it out on Disney Plus Premier Access, not enough people went to the theater. Um, I can see where they're coming from, but I also know in a world where some people are scared to go to the theater still, uh, Disney was trying to make it available for everyone to watch. Um, when I put dollars to cents on uh when I kind of put it in perspective for myself, um, it to me, because I was going to the theater by myself, I wasn't going to buy any concessions. If I went to a matinee, I was going to get to see an IMAX showing in Black Widow for cheaper than the premiere access. And I give my money back to the theater, which is where I wanted to go anyway. Um, the only reason I'm not going to do the premiere access on Disney is because I know that if I wait a little bit, it's going to be free on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> absolutely you know so the movies on Dis- like so for example like jungle cruise i'm sorry that movie looks awesome i'm not going to pay the premiere access i might go to the theater but that's not one that i'm jumping at going oh i have to have to see so i might just wait you know what i mean yeah um, a movie like black widow i had to go back to the theater there's a specific design to see that a movie like that and i had to go and then um so I get where theater owners are coming from because they want that revenue. They're trying to employ people. But at the same time, man, you guys are you guys are getting a cut of that, you know, Black Widow money because Black Widow is going to make some money. But Disney's going to control their own properties. So you can be mad at them all you want, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I sit with it, because it's like it's not solely Disney's fault, like as as much as it sucks to say, like the world has gone through a radical change in the past uh, year and a half or whatever with COVID and all that. And I feel like, you know, not everybody wants to go to the theaters and that's just kind of the way things are. And uh, Disney has adapted to that. And I think uh, I don't know, it's it's hard to break down, but I feel like a lot of theaters would typically rely on the big Disney releases and like really big releases to bring people out to the theater. And uh, with Black Widow, maybe we saw that this that didn't bring people back out as much as they were hoping. And um, it's kind of hard to place that blame on Disney, though, you know, and it's kind of I don't know. It's I feel like we could do a whole show breaking it down because maybe it's maybe this is where the theaters have to step up a little bit and make you know, going to a movie theater is a very unique experience that can't be replicated at home. And maybe it's 
up to the theaters to make that experience feel like even more of an event, you know, like maybe <laughs> maybe theaters need to start hiring like cosplayers to show up to all their premieres or, you know, get, do something to get people really feel like I've got to see this movie in the theaters as opposed to uh, the Disney Plus premiere access. Um, I don't I don't know. I feel like I've opened a can of worms there and it's also like super vague. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Drew. I'm just kind of thinking you can't really place the blame solely on Disney and you can't really place the blame solely on the theaters, but I do think it's up to the theaters to find a way to bring the audience back in a way, you know, you can't just rely on the big movie studios to do it for you, I guess is all that I'm kind of thinking. I know. And I agree. And like I said, people are still afraid to go to the theater. So I don't know. Um, all right. Um, we're all waiting for, since we're still talking about Marvel, we're all waiting for Deadpool to join the Marvel Cinematic Universe, aren't you? Sure. <laughs> okay. So Deadpool, this past week, has actually made his first appearance in the MCU. Um, it's a really weird first appearance, but it's worth checking out if you haven't seen this. Now, um, the movie Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds is coming. It was one of those movies that was supposed to come out almost two years ago. Um, it was one of the movies slated that got pushed and pushed and pushed because of COVID. It is now officially coming out later this year. Do you remember the movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've yeah, I, I remember the trailer for sure. OK, great. So Deadpool, who's played by Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds is in the movie Free Guy. He's the main character. One of the other main characters in the movie Free Guy is played by Taika Waititi. Okay. Okay. Deadpool, who's played by Ryan Reynolds, decided to watch the trailer of Free Guy and commentate on it as a trailer that they posted on YouTube. So it's Deadpool watches the Free Guy trailer (laughs) uh, breakdown. This is hilarious. The thing that makes it even more hilarious is because Deadpool is joined by Korg from Thor. Um, and the two of them watch the uh, Free Guy trailer together and commentate on it. And what makes it funny is Korg is voiced by Taika Waititi <laughs> and Deadpool is played by Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi are both in Free Guy. So they together watch the trailer for Free Guy. The movie, the trailer, it's about a four minute video because you have to get all the Deadpool stuff on top of the trailer for Free Guy. It's a really, really funny video to watch, but it's like his ultimate first appearance into the Marvel Universe. So um, I highly recommend checking it out if you have not, if you didn't know about that. So, yeah, I need to watch this. I literally saw this in my recommended YouTube videos (laughs) earlier this afternoon and I just didn't. I chose like I was like, oh, I'll watch that later but i need to watch this asap now but this is just i mean it's it's typical deadpool where it's just brilliant sort of like online viral marketing that they're playing with so uh no this is awesome it's absolutely expected when you think of deadpool but it's a cool way for uh it's a really funny meta sort of way for deadpool to make his first mcu appearance like that's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) well i just yeah it's just it's so funny Um, and it makes it makes me feel like their next trailer review has to have like uh you know fat thor there playing video games with them or something like that you know if you're gonna have korg there as well so it's in this video it's just korg and deadpool because deadpool makes a comment about uh he, he makes a comment about having Korg with him like no one else at a marvel was available so i got Korg here with me <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's Deadpool with the fourth wall, and you're just like, yes. 
<laughs> That's so, great. Uh, yeah, it just makes me excited for Deadpool actually getting a first appearance in the Marvel movies. Uh, but we'll get there. Um, I got one quick casting announcement because I thought it was interesting. Um, and then I got one more piece of Marvel and we'll go to our list for the evening. So this piece, this casting announcement is that Antonio Banderas has joined the cast of Indiana Jones 5 um, in a undisclosed role. Um, I... Uh, uh, I mean, I don't we haven't seen Antonio Banderas in a movie in a really long time. So this is cool. Um, I never would have expected to see him in a Indiana Jones film, but we don't really know much about that movie. I just thought it was kind of cool that we got, you know, an action star like him back. So um, I'm just thinking of uh, like the Mask of Zorro and uh, Desperado and just thinking about how some of my favorite and. Uh, Antonio Banderas performances are in like action adventure movies. So it's like, he's going to be in Indiana Jones, bring it on. Like this sounds awesome. So yeah, I'm yeah. definitely excited. I didn't know about this story, but yeah, that's yeah. definitely really it's cool. Not, like it's really just a casting announcement. So I don't really have much to say other than, Hey, this is cool. Um, so yeah. Um, all right. So I'm going to, we're going to talk one more thing and then we'll talk about the news. So this is essentially a spoiler. If you have not seen black widow, um, if you haven't seen Black Widow at this point, well, I'm sorry, but we're going to talk about the bonus scene in the movie. I'm not going <laughs> to spoil anything else, but I'm legitly going to have to spoil the bonus scene to talk about this because Kevin Feige made some statements. So we're going to catch up now. The Black Widow movie, um, if you have been completely living under a rock and you don't know anything about the Black Widow movie, um, it does take place between the events of Civil War when the Avengers are uh, disassembled, if you will. And Infinity War, when they have to come back together and fight Thanos. So everyone's like separated in said movie. Black Widow is kind of on the run from the government because she's considered a traitor. OK, um, she considered because she helped Steve Rogers in Civil War. That's in dialogue. That's about as much as the movie I'm going to explain. I'm going to get to the bonus scene in a second. Um, when we watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, the reason I bring this up is because Black Widow is essentially supposed to be before all the shows started. So we technically phase four starts with WandaVision. It was supposed to go Black Widow, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, then Loki. But then because COVID changed things, we got WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, part of Loki, Black Widow, end of, you know what I mean? That kind right. of it felt. So watch it, figure out your watching order on that one, because I don't think the shows, I think the shows could go either way. Um, you could kind of watch those in any order you want. There's not, because they don't link to each other as much as they link to the films. Um, but at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we get introduced to Contessa Valenta Allegra de Fontaine, played by Julia, Re Julia Louise Dreyfus. Mouthful of a character's name. <laughs> right. uh, everyone has been speculating who she is, why, what is she doing? Well, she recruited um, U.S. agent to be part of like something that she's doing. And you're like, oh, she's going to be pulling U.S. agent strings. This will be kind of interesting because if you know her history of the comic books, she is Madame Hydra or also known as the Viper. And uh, she's a villain. OK, so she's recruited U.S. agent who became a villain in that series. Um, well, she's recruited U.S. agent. All right. Well, so we're going to jump to the end of um uh, Black, Widow. Black Widow and the bonus scene. Um, we all know that at the end of in Avengers Endgame, Black Widow dies on Voromir um, because she sacrifices herself so Hawkeye can get the Soul Stone and go back and, you know, fight Thanos. 
So Black Widow's body is still on Boromir somewhere. It's still out there. Um, but at the end of Black Widow, you see her sister, Yelena, go to like kind of like down a country road and she gets out near a tree and you see an M- you see a grave for Black Widow that says Natasha Romanoff. Uh, it says sister, uh, daughter, sister, Avenger or something like that on the headstone on the headstone. And because we know Black Widow's body is on Boromir, there's a chance that this is a this is probably an empty grave. I would like to think that they created this burial site for her because they know of her death. Okay. However, this does make me lead to some sort of speculation that it could be a fake burial site because Black Widow put a fake her death to stay in hiding in between Civil War and Infinity War. That's okay. a personal. That's a personal speculation. But let's assume it's post Endgame, and this is the actual burial site for her character. Yelena's visiting her sister's grave, and she gets a visit from Contessa Valenta Allegra de Fontaine, played by Julia Louise Dreyfus. So we get to see her in the bonus scene, and they have a conversation. So right now, Black Widow is immediately linked to um, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Contessa turns to her and said, and they have a quick conversation and she goes, I have a new contract for you, which means Yelena, Black Widow's sister, is already working for Contessa. So that means she's recruited this new Black Widow and she's recruited U.S. agent. So the big conversation is, is Contessa, um, by the way, I'm not going to spoil the canoe uh, target. I'll leave that to uh you, Peter, because you haven't seen the, sh- the movie yet, because um, she says, I have a new target for you. And then you get to see who the target is. And it sets okay. up some and it sets up something we know is coming. So it made me really excited. Um, and it sets up something that we knew that uh, Florence Pugh was already involved with in terms of Marvel projects. So the next time we'll see that character is over here kind of thing. Um, but Contessa recruited U.S. agent. She can take uh, um uh, recruited Yelena. So is Contessa building something? Is she building a new team? There's speculation that she's building something in the Marvel universe known as the Dark Avengers. Um, so you have like an evil cap and even evil Black Widow. But Yelena's not really evil. She's a little bit more uh, um, on the darker side than her sister, but she's still got her heart in the right place. So I don't really know if I could say it's officially an evil team, but it could be the Dark Avengers. The well, other it sounds point. like the same same thing with the U.S. agent, though. He didn't seem evil, per se, but uh, you could see how he if he was in the wrong hands, right. he could be very misguided. And, yeah. So uh, maybe so maybe like an edgier Avengers, if you will. Um, anyway, um, so Contessa's building this thing. She's clearly building something. And Kevin Feige confirmed and the Internet's been going nuts about it. Kevin Feige confirms that she is building towards something for sure. Um, the big thing, um, is that he won't outright say what she's building towards in phase four, but you have to understand that some people, there's a theory online that says Contessa is actually doing the work of Nick Fury and she's being, her strings are being pulled from Nick Fury. We know he's out of space, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have contact. The reason I bring this up is because if you dig into the comic books and Contessa's history, she was actually originally part of Nick Fury's team, and they worked very, very close together before she became Lady Hydra. So going forward, I'm not 100 percent sure that I know she is the she could very well be the new Nick Fury going forward. Right. I mean, that's what it, it sounds like. Uh, 
Well, I was almost thinking she was like the anti Nick Fury where she was building her own uh, dark or evil sort of Avengers team. But uh, it seems like uh, there's tons of possibilities here. So I don't really even know what to say about it, but it all just sounds it sounds cool. It sounds like um, I think the most interesting thing is it almost sounds like. It's it's it sounds like it's going to be hard to say whether she's good or evil, like it might be something much more nuanced. And I think that could be really interesting as well. But, um, yeah, I don't really know what to say at this moment, but it sounds like everything's headed in a really interesting direction for sure. Yeah, I know. So. um, Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm really interested. Um, I wanted to talk about it because I'm I, I really like Black Widow and I was literally blown away by Contessa's appearance in that bonus scene. I was like, whoa, if you want to talk about the shows and the movies being linked, this is a moment where the shows and the movies are being linked. Um, the big thing, uh, the big thing is I don't want to say who the target is. Cause she goes, I have that new target for you. And you get to see like a picture and you're just like, Oh wow. Okay. You know, and we kind of know where it's coming. So I'll leave that to the non-spoiler, uh, crowd but um, I, I really, had, <laughs> nice. really had to talk about it because the internet's kind of going nuts about her thing and then kevin feige legitimately confirms you know awesome. uh, that she is building towards something so whether it's the dark avengers or something else she's trying to do something she's got an agenda which is pretty cool yeah but yeah so that brings us to the end of the news man you're gonna talk about the list for the night yeah absolutely cool uh ryan it is list time so do me a favor and roll the thing the top five so peter here we go um tonight's list um this came up because we were doing we a while back we did military movies and i said no space had to be earth-based um this time i thought to myself let's do military movies in space uh with the rule of you either have to choose star wars as a whole or one specific star wars movie um I'll be a quick spoiler on my list. I did choose one specific Star Wars movie as opposed to Star Wars as a whole. Um, OK, nice. I did go with that just because, look, you anyone who listens to the show know that I love Star Wars. But I was trying to keep this list a little more like niche focused, if you will. So I specifically chose one Star Wars movie to go with. And in my opinion, it's the most militaristic Star Wars movie there is. Um, but we'll get to that. Anyway, I found this movie incredibly difficult to do. Um, I did. I did as well, actually, because when you Google military star space movies, the majority of it is Star Wars. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, we got to do some actual digging here. Um, so I do have. And there's one movie that I was like, man, I guess I'm going to put that on my list. So um, I've got one of something better. But I was like, no, this movie's actually fairly decent for what it is. So <laughs> I have one like that as well. And it's more of a I don't know if it counts because it's. I feel like it is a military space movie, but because of the way they phrase things, it might not be considered one. And we'll talk about that further as the list goes on. But I, I found this one really hard, too. But I held I was holding myself to pretty strict standards where I had to f- I was really trying to find movies that took place in space. And uh, I was really trying to find movies that had a military f- feel to them as opposed to just 
there being like a military presence in the movie. Um, And depending on which movies you pick, we might talk about that more. But there's certain movies that I wanted to make my list because I'm like, well, technically, like this character's from the military and stuff. But I just couldn't do it because the movie just didn't feel yeah. Like a military movie, if that and, makes sense. Uh, so. One of the movies that came up in my Google search was District 9. Now, I love District 9, but essentially it doesn't take place in space. Absolutely. And, um, so I was kind of like, well, it has got aliens in it, but it doesn't place, take space, place in space. So Same thing with um, Independence Day, like has what, like one scene in space, but it's it's yeah. an, it's an Earth based invasion. Exactly. Movie, so and that's why that's I, another example. That's why I didn't count Independence Day. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, however, I do agree that if you can argue it, I don't mind if it makes the list. So, um, <laughs> yeah, let's put it that way. Um, so <laughs> I assume you have honorable mentions. I have two. So. I actually have none this time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like I said, I did have a hard time with my list. So, wow. All right. Um, give me one second. Okay, cool. I was making a note on our spreadsheet. All right. So I guess I'll go with my first two honorable mentions. My first honorable mention isn't a movie at all, but there was no way I couldn't include it because it is very military based. It is very much in outer space and it is very much as what the military would be if it didn't have training. Um, and it is absolutely hilarious and it's a web series. That's why it makes honorable mention. And that is red versus blue. Um, <laughs> I really thought about red versus blue, but since it wasn't a movie per se, I just didn't right. include it. Well, <laughs> here's what's interesting about red versus blue. Now, if you don't know what red versus blue is, there's a game called halo. It's one of the, probably one of the biggest game franchises there are. And it, yes, I know it. You don't hear about a lot about it today because we have like call of duty and other and Fortnite and stuff. But in terms of shooters, it's one of the biggest franchises there is and there's a new halo game coming this year years ago a group of people from a company named rooster teeth put together that used game footage to create a cartoon that they released online called red versus blue and it's basically a red army versus the blue army and hilarity ensues because the writing is incredible the jokes are incredible like they they did they really did their homework putting this together and it's hilarious here's the thing the entirety of it, yes, it's all on YouTube, but like season one, they were all like micro cartoons. So like each cartoon is only like two, three minutes long. When you put all those together, season one is like two hours. But if you go onto YouTube and play season one, it's like a two hour movie. That's true. And then season two is a two hour movie. And then season three is a two hour movie. And I think it was meant to be done that way. It was all on Netflix at one point, but for whatever reason, they pulled it off. Um, but they're up to like season 18 now. And I didn't realize that was like, holy cow. Like I fell off the bandwagon somewhere around like season 12, but I didn't realize they had kept going at any rate. Red versus blue by itself. I was like, this is too funny to not bring up. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's a great pick. It definitely fits the bill. It's just since it's not like technically a movie, that's just the only reason it didn't make my list. Yep. But and that's uh, why definitely it's, a great, that's why it's getting an honorable pick. mention. It's getting an honorable mention for that reason you just mentioned. So um, the other movie that gets an honorable mention, um, it's a movie that I actually enjoy. And it's one that I almost forgot was a military based movie because it's technically it's technically space police, if you will. But it is an army. Um, is the movie Green Lantern with Ryan nice. Reynolds. Um, 
in a weird way, you can argue that it's not military. That's why it's getting an honorable mention. But ultimately, it is basically space special forces, if you will. Um, and you know what? You can say what you want about the movie. But if you read Green Lantern comic books and then you watch that movie, they did a pretty decent job of trying to tackle one of the hardest, in my opinion, DC projects to adapt to the film, uh, to the big screen. And I really I really appreciate some of the legwork they did in like the first First three quarters of the movie, they did a lot of heavy lifting and trying to make that work for the big screen. Um, it's just very clear. A studio had stepped in in the back quarter and made some decisions, and that's why the movie ended the way it did. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so Green Lantern, that's my pick for my second honorable mention. Um, since you have none, uh, what's your first <laughs> actual pick for the night? Well, that segues really well into my first pick, which is which Green is Lantern. Lantern. <laughs> and that's the one that I felt like because they call, you know, it's a space police force sort of thing. Is this a military movie? The the thing I kept going back to is it's the Green Lantern Corps, which is like, I mean, when you really look at it on paper, it's a big militarized sort of uh, space police force that uh, patrols the galaxy and stuff. And if you read Green Lantern comics, there are wars and there's events that feel a lot more military than they do feel like police work. So I really this is the one where I was like, you're arguing, arguing semantics, but I really do feel like Green Lantern does have the feel of a military movie, even down to the sort of uh, the training that uh, Hal Jordan has to go through and stuff. I even think some of that has a military feel. So this one was my one cheat. But um, I mean, we've mentioned it before, but uh, Drew, I think you and I both like this movie. I don't know if we love this movie like wholeheartedly, but I think we like it and we feel like there's some spots they could have done better at. But overall, I think this is a good flick. I think it gets a bad rap unfairly in a lot of situations. And uh, no, yeah, this is just uh, this was just an interesting one. So I thought yeah. I put it on my list. So yeah, I do agree. It definitely gets a bad rap. But, you know, that's that's for other people to decide. Um, I'm kind of with you where the majority that like the first three quarters of the movie, I think, are pretty solid. And towards the end, they've they dumbed things down and some of it's a little bit harder to take seriously at the end. But overall, I don't think it's that bad in the realm of superhero movies. Like, I think it's you know, halfway decent, to be honest. So, yeah. Right. right. Yeah. (laughs) Like I said, they did a lot of groundwork for some really cool stuff and if they're smart they're going to look at that groundwork when they do that green lantern show uh or when they finally get that thing like available for us to watch absolutely Um, all right so my first pick for the night is a movie called starship troopers um in terms of military i'm not entirely sure um how much more military you can get holy (laughs) Um, absolutely first up first up i have a feeling you and i are going to match a bunch tonight i really do um yeah I think there's a couple that we won't, but I think you guys are going to match on a few of these. Um, the big thing with uh, Starship Troopers, and I'm going to say this, is that a few a little while ago we talked. I brought up a movie called Triumph of the Will, and that is a movie that Hitler Adolf Hitler had made uh, to glorify the existence of the Third Reich. Um, it's a movie that I personally believe should be completely stricken from the history books and like it never existed, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, or a movie that should never be remade. If you look at the structure of the triumph of the will and you look at starship troopers, starship troopers is almost a complete remake of triumph of the will. 
Um, which is really weird when you actually look at it and you're like, huh, that's interesting. Um, but ultimately Starship Troopers is about aliens who are attacking planet earth and we decided to take the fight to them. And, uh, you all sent all the U S troops or like earth soldiers to, um, Klendaku. Is that the name of the planet? Yeah. Klendaku, uh, to fight the, uh, bugs. And I don't remember the name of the bugs, uh, but I do remember the planet's name, which is kind of funny. Uh, the, uh, but Starship Troopers literally like they go into the propaganda of joining the military. They go through the training, they go through, um, the relationships you make in like the the relationships, not only your bunk mates, but the love relationships you make in the core, um, whether you're infantry versus pilot versus, you know, like whatever you are, like, you know what I mean? Like they really like, it's really broke, uh, segregated and broken down. And like, eventually you get to the war. It makes they crammed a lot into that movie um, in terms of like length of time. But um, and it's ultimately tr- uh, soldiers fighting aliens. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Well, I feel like this movie is when you look at military um, space science fiction movies like this, fit, this movie fits the bill so well for um, really all the reasons you were just saying um, this movie almost made my list. And uh, my only issue is like, this is a movie that came out when I was in junior high and I remember seeing it when it came out and I have fond memories, but I honestly don't know if I've seen it the full way through since. And it's just one of those movies that I just felt like I personally don't know if I know well enough to include on my list, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, I mean, from what I remember, like this movie's great. And uh, a lot of these sort of, um, propaganda aspects and stuff that you were mentioning, I actually think sounds really interesting and it makes me want to revisit this film with, you know, the eyes of an adult as opposed to a junior high kid when I first saw this movie. But uh, I definitely think it's a great pick for sure. Then as an adult, make sure you check out the pay attention to the propaganda aspect of it because it's going to, it's really going to blow you away. I think Um, because the, uh, they, they talk about like the way they, advertise the people of this future uh, world to join the military and stuff. Um, it's really kind of interesting and it's no different than, I think it's no different than how we do it today. If you look at their commercials on the movie versus our commercials that we have now, like it's interesting, but it's a little more yeah. in the movie. So like the whole film is designed in this propaganda aspect, if you will. So interesting. Yeah. I'll definitely keep that in mind. I was trying to see if I could, because of this list, I was trying to find it streaming somewhere, but um, I couldn't find it anywhere for free. <laughs> so I haven't watched it yet, but uh, I'm definitely yeah. going to try to ch- watch it soon. So. <laughs> All right. Well, now you, have, now you have me literally wondering. So now I'm going to, like, look it up. <laughs> try to hunt it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's your next general engine? OK. Oh, no. My, my next uh, actual pick is. Um, so I went with uh, the movie Avatar, James Cameron's Avatar, which um This movie I have mixed feelings on, like it's not my favorite, but when it comes down to it, this movie feels so militaristic to me. And you have the whole like you have the uh, the Earth military on this uh, on this planet, as well as the Navi that are very um, primitive and feel they just have a complete different feel from the sort of militaristic forces of Earth and uh I think that's really what made me pick this one is I just felt like I was thinking of different space science fiction movies and Avatar for me just seemed to uh, really fit the bill in a lot of ways. And uh, 
really, when it comes down to it, the only aspect of this movie I'm not the biggest fan of is when I was watching the movie the first time, once it got to the ending, I kind of there's about 20 minutes at the end of the movie where I was able to predict everything before it happened sort of thing. But other than that, I do enjoy this movie quite a bit. I really admire the uh, world building, especially in a lot of the sort of uh, creature and uh landscape design and all that so uh yeah i went with avatar i don't know if you drew i don't know if we matched or if you have any thoughts on this one but um, i didn't yeah. match and i feel like looking at my list it makes me wonder if i should change something to make avatar slide and i was like mm, no maybe <laughs> no you don't um, have to change anything <laughs> no uh no this is a great pick and it's not one that like and it's one i debated on putting on my list it really is because there are some really really great um there's some really great military things about Avatar, um, and yeah, they did, they did some real they did some stuff just really really well, and you can tell that Jim Cameron uh, really like understands what he's trying to do when he comes when he does a military thing. It's it's really like do it right, and it's always fantasy. Like I don't know if I'd have to look, but I don't think Jim Cameron has ever done anything like uh, real world military, and it makes me wonder how that would play out. Um, because he's done like spy stuff and everything, but most of his military stuff has always been set in space. Um, but he just does it in this, such a perfect way. Um, so yeah, and it's, it was also really fun to watch in terms of, uh, um, the military aspect of the, of that side of the movie, like, or that, that half of the movie, if you will. So, yeah, absolutely. Like really cool, uh, mechs and different vehicles and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So my next pick of the night is uh, Star Trek six. Um, the uh, undiscovered country. Um, do you remember this one? I OK. So here's the thing is, I feel like I, I think I've seen almost every Star Trek movie, but I honestly a lot of times can't remember which one's which. <laughs> so I've, I'm sure I've seen this one. I didn't pick any Star Trek movies for my list because I couldn't think of any that felt very military to me, but um, you might be able to refresh my memory and I might be on the same page with you as soon as I hear your, hear your description. So some of my reasoning for this being my favorite is uh, you're going to there's enough people out there that say, no, 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 no. Wrath of Khan is the best because of this. Um, uh, Wrath of Khan. So. Star Trek on undiscovered country is like one of Kirk's is one of William Shatner's last uh, because he because then because after that they went to uh, the next generation films. Um, but, um, uh, William Shatner did the first of the next generation film. It was kind of like the passing the torch uh, moment for him, if you will. Yeah, generations, um, right? Yeah. But this was his last full movie beginning to end as an adventure of Kirk's crew. And this one was it started with an is like you got to remember Star Trek, like the Federation itself is military. They weren't meant to be military. They were meant to be explorers. Um, and if you read into the lore of Star Trek, they were designed to be explorers who were going to explore the heavens and space and all that stuff. And unfortunately, they had to become military. They were forced into it because there were alien races out there with weaponry and it was threatening. And they were like, well, we're going to have to protect ourselves. And they created a military force. Um so Star Trek six starts with an assassination of the Klingon uh, high council ambassador and Kirk is framed for the murder or the assassination. And then it goes into partial mystery of who actually is behind this. 
assassination. And you have one ship and its crew versus another ship and its crew. And it comes down to um, like actual military tactics and maneuvers and, you know, outthinking your opponent in the sense that you have two military generals trying to battle each other. Now, I understand that people will say, well, Wrath of Khan's better because in that one, it's the sense it's the ship versus ship crew versus crew captain versus captain with Kirk and Khan. But I think when you add in the assassination times and stuff, I think the, the B storyline, I guess you could say the, the two storylines together in star Trek six are better than the two storylines in star Trek two. Uh, but that's me. Um, and you know, I, maybe that's an unpopular opinion, but that's just how I look at it. I don't know I just like that one better. So, Okay, nice. Is uh, is this your favorite Star Trek film? It's one of it's. I don't know if I have a favorite Star Trek film. I was thinking about that when I was thinking about military because First Contact almost made the list. And then I was like, mm, no. And I just kind of started. I had to go back a little farther. I'm like, let's don't forget about the Kirk era. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like, um, no, this sounds like a great pick. I'm actually not sure if I've seen this one or not, because it's not. uh the description isn't ringing a bell, but a lot of the Star Trek movies I just saw when I was super young. But, uh, yeah, the, the thing was, was I felt like uh, when I was compiling my own list, I felt like Star Trek might like I felt like, OK, the Federation that might be, uh, you know, all the Star Trek stuff might be actually technically military. But I was just trying to think of a moment that felt really military for me. And I kind of just. uh didn't pick any star Trek movies. So, uh, that is what it is, but, um, no, yeah, it's, it sounds like a cool pick and, uh, I'll definitely keep this one in mind <laughs> since, uh, it's interesting to hear like your comments on how this one compares to wrath of Khan and everything like that. Yeah. And I understand. I appreciate wrath of Khan for what it is. And I understand why everyone says it's amazing. I think between the two in terms of what they were trying to do, because wrath of Khan is partially like, it's the two captains versus each other with the ships, but it's also like, protection of a like the genesis project um but then when you get to star trek six it's the assassination which is already military based for uh, military reasons and then you throw in the two captains versus each other and i just thought i just liked it better so that's me nice all right so what's your next pick for the night so my next pick um i went with the last starfighter um this is the um this is like the 80s movie. I feel like it's kind of a kid's movie, but I'm not I'm not sure on that. But it's the movie about the uh, there's this teenager who just plays a lot of this Starfighter um, arcade game in this trailer park where he lives and uh, he achieves the high score. And that's where he sort of uh, more or less gets beamed up into this sort of uh alien war that's been going on and uh he finds out that this arcade game that he's playing was actually an arcade game that was put on earth by these aliens because they were trying to recruit pilots for uh this war that they had going and uh this is just like i feel like this is a classic film um in a lot in that sort of uh i guess like old 80s sci-fi sort of sense but uh this movie i just think it's filled with a lot of just dog fights and sort of, um, you know, alien sort of dog fight tactics and all that. And, uh, this movie is also like one of the reasons I love it is it's, uh, it's not a star Wars film, but I saw it many, many years ago when I was 
it was like during this, the prequel era of the Star Wars movies. And I was just looking for other cool science fiction movies. And I felt like this movie, there was a bit of the Star Wars spirit in it um, that I always really appreciated as far as like you're seeing these crazy dogfights with uh, these, you know, all these different alien ships. And, you know, there's only one human pilot. A lot of the pilots are actually different alien species. And I just had like a bit of a Star Warsiness that I just always really appreciated as a kid. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't have too much to say about this one, but this one's just really fun. And I like some of the creature design and practical effects and stuff like that. And it's just a really it's a really fun concept that is possibly ripped off from Ender's game, but I, I still love the concept nonetheless. So um, Drew, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the last Starfighter, but this, this is just a really fun one in my opinion. Yeah. And I haven't seen last Starfighter in a really long time. And it was funny, like when it came up on the list when I was Googling stuff on it, it was like, I wonder, I have a feeling Peter will pick last Starfighter. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I just haven't seen it in a long time. So when you mentioned the dog fights, I'm like, Oh yeah, there were dog fights. You know, yeah. I, so, yeah, yeah. Um, and since I haven't seen the movie in a long time and I didn't pick it, I don't have a lot to say on that one. Um, but at any rate, so moving on to mine um, is uh, a movie called Stargate. Um, I've mentioned that I'm a big fan of Stargate in terms of that as a franchise. There are three movies, uh, 17 seasons. It's I think it's awesome. It's one of my favorite sci fi franchises. But this one I'm specifically referring to. Um, the original movie from 1994 uh, by directed by Roland Emmerich uh, with James Spader and uh, Kurt Russell. Um, this is basically about a military operation because they discovered a gateway to another planet and they send a military team in to explore, uh, find out what it is and report back. And they kind of get stuck for a little bit and so on and so on. Um, Stargate is very military because they treat it as a military organization, uh, military operation the whole time if you will. Um, and they, um, and it's very military in terms of everything that goes on in the movie leading up to them leaving for the planet. And then everything on the planet becomes very military because they end up having to join forces with the alien or like one of the species military forces to overcome the big bad of the movie. Um, the show, however, when they did the television show spawning off of the film, they were very, um, focused on making sure they represent the military properly. The two branches of the military you see more than any other um, branches of the uh, of the military in the show are the Marines and the Air Force. Same thing with um, same thing with um, the original film, and they do a really nice job of treating everything properly and making sure they're representing the military stuff properly. So, um, I wanted to bring that up because the, yes, it's sci-fi. Yes, it's space, but they try their best to be, um, uh, they try their best to create proper military representation in the, in these, in this science fiction story where, um, in terms of, you know, like, Avatar, they probably did stuff very military-esque and tried to be um, cognizant to that. But at the same time, it's very science fiction. It's very space. It's very, like, futuristic where Stargate is modern day. So let's get the military correct before we go run, jumping around in space fighting aliens. You know? A absolutely. Um, uh, so, so not only am I a big fan of Stargate, but I pulled this specifically for this because it's very representative of proper military um, representation and making sure that they were properly rep represented. So 
Yeah, I mean, you've kind of sold me on this one because this is a movie that almost made my list. And hearing your description, I really feel like it should have been an honorable mention. Like I wanted to pick Stargate so bad and I could remember so much that it was a military operation. And I knew there was a number of the characters who were um, affiliated with the military and stuff. And I was trying to think of for some reason, I kept restricting myself that I wanted to have this sort of militarized warfare. But when you do, as you were describing the um, the sort of like uh, the group of people they meet up with and stuff after going through the Stargate and their sort of uh, revolution that they join in, there is a military aspect to that, too. So this is one that should have made my list, at least as an honorable mention. And it's just one of those. I haven't watched it in such a long time, too, that I just kind of uh, didn't remember a lot of these little details. But um, thinking back to the movie, like you can tell, like the way the movie uh, opens and before they actually go through the Stargate, like you're right, like they really did focus on making sure everything as far as the military go goes was uh represented correctly and stuff like that. So uh, I definitely think this is a good pick. And uh, yeah, now I'm starting to think it should have made an honorable mention, at least of mine. So right. well, <laughs> and it did almost make my list. But uh, yeah, sure. And I will say this, if you're at all interested in watching Stargate, um, I don't know if the original film is on Netflix, but uh, Stargate SG one, the first 10 seasons are on Netflix. Um, so, cause the Stargate's actually three separate shows, the Stargate SG one, Stargate Atlantis, and star, uh, Stargate universe and, um, Stargate universe takes place at the end of everything, but SG one and Atlantis after seven seasons of SG one Atlantis and, um, after the set at the seven season mark, that's when the two of them start interlacing kind of overlapping like crossovers and stuff. But those first 10 seasons are on, uh, Netflix. So nice. So yeah, anyway. Uh, moving on. Uh, what's your number two for the night, man? Okay, so my number two, and it's hard to know which one to go with, but I guess I'm going to save my Star Wars pick for last, and uh, I'm going to go with Aliens. So another hey. James Cameron movie, but uh, I mean, when it comes to space marines, this is one of the best <laughs> examples of uh, marines in space. Um, this movie's just great. We've talked about it a ton, but. Uh, I mean, everybody needs to see it if you haven't yet. And uh, this movie is just awesome. Uh, Drew, I don't know. It sounds like we matched. So I don't we know did match on what this. all you have to say about aliens. We, did match on this. <laughs> and we can go on and on about aliens. And we've talked about aliens several times in the past. But this is another one with representation of the military. Um, you can tell if you watch Avatar, they very clear. James Cameron was very clearly influenced by his alien starship and weapon designs. Um, for Avatar from the Alien franchise, because uh, James Cameron was a part of a lot of that. He did a lot of he did a lot of his own weapon designs and Starship stuff. And there's actually like a couple spaceships in Avatar that I'm like, wow, you lifted that straight from your own head cannon, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so Cameron has uh, he did Aliens and he you know it's just it's fantastic how like the military representation and that. But again, it's science fiction it's military. Um, we could go on and on and probably do a whole show on Aliens, so I'm not gonna like do that now because we could probably you know, if we wanted to we could. But I will say, and I say this is a new story. I say specifically for when I brought this up, so I think that's awesome. <laughs> I think that's awesome that you uh, we both matched on it. Aliens, as of this week, is officially 35 years old. Uh, okay, 
Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. So happy birthday to aliens. Yeah. So I can close the news stuff on my computer now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah. All right, man. Last pick of the night. Yeah. um, Okay. So yeah, I guess it goes back to me. Um, It sounds like we both had Star Wars movies that we picked. um, And it was really hard for me to pick which Star Wars movie I felt felt like. So I was going for a balance between which one felt military, but is also one of my favorites. And uh, the one that I settled on was episode six, Return of the Jedi. Um, And I just was thinking so much about the the battle on the forest moon of Endor between the Ewoks and the stormtroopers like that just felt like such a cool sort of, uh, you know, primitive versus more technology based military, as well as just the huge epic, um, space battle sequence at the end. Um, just return of the Jedi, just for me, especially because of those two battles, but also the sort of tactics of, uh, destroying the death star two and everything. It just like, that one for me just made it to the top of my list. But Drew, I'm really curious which Star Wars movie you ended up going and with. I, and I feel like, so first off, I totally agree with exactly what you're saying because episode six was one that really caught my attention because you have the battle sequences the way you are. And you look, I mean, when you look at any of the battle sequences of Star Wars, whether you're looking at the Battle of Hoth, the Battle of Endor, both uh, ground and space, you look at the Battle of Yavin, you look at the... Um, the battle of crate, uh, crate. Uh, yeah. Okay. The battle of crate. When you break down all, this <laughs> stuff, um, I was really going, what star Wars movie has the most military presence from beginning to end more than any other star Wars movie. And I could not escape the fact that you couldn't go any better than star Wars rogue one from the beginning of the movie to the end of the movie. It's all military. They pretty much completely stripped the movie. Oh, uh, stripped the movie of Jedi, any Jedi presence all the way to the end. So like the last minute of the movie has a Jedi presence. Otherwise it's all military. Um, whether it's from the spy espionage aspect to the incursion battle in the city streets, because it just happens to be military, uh, uh, Imperial troops against the, um, uh, growing rebellion. And then you roll into the big rebellion battle on, uh, Scarif with the space battle on top of it. So you have the Navy plus the ground sequences, um, the walkers, the fighters, everything. Um, I know that Gareth Edwards was told um, this is kind of goes into Star Wars. Um, I guess you could say history and lore. But Gareth Edwards was told to go make a Star uh, basically go make Band of Brothers, but Star Wars. Um, and he came back with a Star Wars uh, war movie, basically. Um, and that's what we got. And I don't think there's a and I'm not trying to discredit Return of the Jedi because you make valid points. I just. Holy cow, I don't know if there's a better military representation in terms of Star Wars than Rogue One. And I hope I didn't like derail your thoughts on your pick. No, no, absolutely not. I think um, no, I think Rogue One is a great pick. And uh, you discussing it now is actually reminding me a lot of the military aspects of that movie. And when I was putting my list together, I kept I, I did think of rogue one a number of times but i kept coming back to like i was like man at its at its heart i feel like it's still like a heist film and it's kind of a different balance but no you're right there's so many military aspects and the whole thing was a military operation from the get-go and the the ending has a huge battle and stuff so i think it's definitely i like i feel like you've sold me on it a little bit too it's just um, I just kept going back to the heist aspect of uh, Rogue One. So it's 
Yeah, well, I don't, I don't, it, it could be an oversight on my part. It could just be the way I was kind of leaning when I came up with a list sort of thing. Sure. It's like stealing the Death Star plans was uh, stealing the Death Star plans. That's the MacGuffin. You know, that's the that's the mission. Um, and then they get to see so the, the beginning of the, sh- the movie is like the spy mission to locate where the Death Star plans are. What's going on? What's this weapon? they've created. <laughs> And then they go on the heist to try and find it. But then the heist happens to be on this planet, which is kind of impenetrable. And we have the shield to take down. So they have to launch the space. They have to land the covert group. And then we have to land, launch the space attack, which leads, you know, like. So once they get to Scarif, it's like the first hour is like espionage, spy military stuff, like the covert ops, I guess you could say. And then the last hour is like full blown military uh, action, if you will. Um, yeah. So I would have loved have, I would have loved to have Halo on the list, but they just cannot get their stuff together when it comes to making <laughs> getting that out for us. So <laughs> um, one last thing I will say, though, too, is <laughs> I did think a lot about the uh, prequel Star Wars films as well, because those have a lot yeah. of just really good military sequences when you look at all those movies. But part of me just really wanted to pick an original trilogy Star Wars movie as well. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of remembered that, but I was like, okay, Star Wars, okay, which one is it going to be? A New Hope, Empire, or Return of the Jedi? <laughs> so, yeah, I agree. But, uh, but uh, yeah, no, no, definitely great pick. I definitely um, agree with you there on Rogue well, One, I thought so, we were even gonna, though we didn't match, we so. match. I thought we were going to match on Starship Troopers. I thought we were going to match on the Star Wars movie, and I was expecting us to match on Aliens, to be completely honest. But Absolutely. Um. But yeah, anyway, what are we doing next week, man? It's your pick. So welcome back. It's your first pick back. So what do you got for us? Yeah, um, next week we're going to go a little bit into the more comic booky side of things. And uh, I, I think it'd be fun to talk about our favorite superhero sidekicks next week. Ooh. Um, I realize we've never done a list specifically, specifically about sidekicks, but I think it would be fun. And I want to just say superhero sidekicks because maybe... Who knows? I mean, it'll probably be all comic stuff, but maybe somebody has a pick from a movie or a video game. You never know. Well, you were just afraid I was going to say Pascal from uh, Tangled. So (laughs) maybe. (laughs) Um, But but no, I I think this one would be fun. And uh, Drew, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could have a list that is nothing but Robins. But I'm hoping that you pick some uh, different characters. But no, I think this would be a fun fun list to talk about. There's some good stuff out there, man, because I uh, in terms of comic books, because I've been catching up on Marvel. uh, I read a ton of DC, but I've been catching up on my Marvel to kind of even that out a bit. Um, I have come to the conclusion and we, we've talked heavily about how Marvel and DC kind of, I don't want to say rip each other off, but it's like when something's working really well on one platform, the other one goes, how do we make something similar or how do we do that too? So people read both sides and there's some real subtle ones. And when I say real subtle, I mean, I don't think people like realized that that's what it was. Um, and I really think that the Winter Soldier, and I don't know who came first, but the Winter Soldier, Bucky's return as the Winter Soldier, is the same <laughs> as Jason Todd's Red Hood. Okay. I had a um, feeling that's what you were going to say, but yeah, I, that's really I, interesting. It, it kind of hit me this week, and I was like, whoa. And then I thought to myself, who would win in a fight, Red Hood or Winter Soldier? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that would mm-hmm. be like, I feel like that's one of those unstoppable force meeting and in, immovable object situations. Um, but it really kind of caught me off guard when I 
thought it in my head. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. So in all seriousness, um, it just kind of makes some certain things stand out. So anyway, um, but we can talk more about that next week because that's our list next week. Um, Absolutely. So are you ready to put this episode in the can, man? Yeah, let's go for it. Perfect. All right. So everyone, do me a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with the link to uh, our uh, email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Hit us up on social media. Either way works. Um, we're on Google uh, Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Uh, there you can inter- uh, you can subscribe to the show. I almost said the wrong credit there. Um, you can subscribe to the show in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also um, leave us a review, which we love those five stars, um, but we understand criticism because it helps. Um, it makes us get better, and it makes the words we say sound important. You can follow me personally at Drew3927 on all the things. Uh, Peter? <laughs> yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be raising awareness that that kid is on the escalator again. <laughs> All right, everybody, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.